man. Good morning. How are you? My name is Parker, and I'm on staff here at Good News. We're so excited that you're here this morning. It's a beautiful day, huh? Not 105 degrees, not pouring rain. How nice. It's really beautiful out there. Thank you for being here. Uh, whether you're here in person or online, we thank you for joining us this morning. We're excited that you are here. Uh, it's going to be a great day. Dave has a, a, an amazing message for us this morning, so let's make sure that we're ready to go for that. Okay, a couple of things. First of all, if you are new or if you haven't been here a whole lot, would you please take the time to fill out that little card that's in front of you right there in the chair and uh, just let us know who you are so we can reach out to you and say hello. Uh, if there's a particular need that you have that you want to express to us, let us know that as well. And if you want to serve, gosh, we'd love to have you tell us on that card uh, or get into a small group and we will follow up with you immediately. So please take advantage of that card and I appreciate that. Oh, online, it's right there on the side. So hit that uh, button on your panel and you'll see it and you can fill it out there as well. Okay, so a couple of things. First of all, Compass. Compass is a class that we are offering really around finances. So God's blessed us with a lot of resources. Not always easy to know exactly how to manage those resources. So uh, Gene Sass and John Schwinghammer will be conducting a Managing Your Finances God's Way class for the next several weeks. It starts Wednesday night this week, 6 to 8. So if you are interested, please let us know that on the card. Uh, you, can, you can go online. You'll see the little um, QR code. So go through that and uh, let us know that you're interested because we'd love to make sure that we have child care or whatever it is that you need so that you can be here. Okay, so that's that. Second thing. Oh, man, this is going to be fun. Hello, fall. Hello, fall is our trunk or treat chili cook-off event. There will be bouncy houses and a whole lot of fun. This is the 29th, so Sunday the 29th, down at Wildwood, so at our other campus. Uh, come on down there. Just get involved. That'll be a fun time. It'll be a lot of great uh, getting together kind of time. So if you want to do a trunk, if you're interested in decorating your trunk and being available uh, for people to come by, I think we're going to have like 70 trunks. So a lot of trunks. Uh, we still have some spots available, so if you're interested, let us know that as well. Decorate your trunk. It's a lot of fun. It's a great time. If you want to do chili, we still have a few chili spots left too. So if you want to do one of those pots of chili, let us know that. Love to have you there, but plan to come on the 29th. That's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, next announcement. Come up, box. So next... <laughs> Got it. Careful. Good job. Good job. Okay. So. Okay. That's plenty. Thank you. <laughs> so we're getting your attention for Operation Christmas Child. So this is really a special, special ministry that we've done for a few years uh, this year. We had 300 boxes last year, which was amazing, all-time high. We want to do 500 from this campus this year. So. If you have items that you could bring, you'll see right out front in the lobby, our display, uh, you can stop Adam or Megan Hackle. They would talk to you. There's a QR code. Look on that QR code. It'll tell you the things that we need. Uh, we're going to have some packing parties. It's going to be a blast. 
please get involved with Operation Christmas Child. This is a way that kids around the world get a gift and they get the greatest gift. They get to see the gospel. They get to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So be involved with that. Thank you, Box. Good job. So be careful going down the steps. So I told you we have a fantastic message coming. Okay. All right. Who is that kid? All right. Uh, (laughs) I know. So anyway, listen, please, please uh, pay attention. Uh, Dave is going to have a great message for us here. So welcome, Dave Ackerman. Thanks, Parker. So last night was super fun. There were over 100 fathers and their daughters here on campus having a great time. I want to thank everybody who helped serve last night. It was great. And all the dads who came with their daughters and had a wonderful time uh, building memories around Jesus and his people uh, here on campus. And um, it was great. Super, super fun. Grab your Bibles. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at two verses this morning. And we've been walking through 1 and 2 Timothy all year. And the message that we're going to have this morning focuses on why is it Why is it that every week I ask you to grab your Bible and turn and give your attention to a particular passage? We're going to find out why this book is so important. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. It's inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, sufficient. It's our only rule for faith and practice. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Jesus the living word that took on flesh and and dwelt among us. We've beheld your glory, and the way we get to behold your glory is through your written word. So I pray, Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we might see Jesus this morning. And Lord, open our hearts that we might receive him, and, and then open our lips that we might share him. And I pray that you would be glorified, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you love the Son and you've given everything into his hands. And so we're never more like you, Father, than when we make a big deal about Jesus. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are at work in our midst to help us, guide us, and illumine the word to us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So did y'all know that I have a grandson? Have you heard about this guy? He's super cute. So Hudson is our grandson. He lives in Louisiana. And um, Hudson just turned one in August. And every day, my wife and I get to see Hudson on FaceTime. And we look forward to it so much. But you know what I never say? I never say, Oh, Jesus, I'm so thankful. I love FaceTime so much. 
because I would so much rather have that little bundle of joy here in St. Augustine. I would so much rather have Hudson here with us to be with him, to hug him, tickle him, wrestle with him, and talk to him, and joke with him. But we use FaceTime. We use FaceTime, and, and we're grateful for it, but I don't, I don't wish that forever and ever and ever we could just have Hudson on FaceTime. I love God's Word, but the reason I love God's Word is because God's Word tells me about Jesus. And when I open this book and I read its pages, I get to see Jesus. When I abide with Jesus in his word, I get to spend time with him. And I love spending time with Jesus. That's why I read and study and memorize and meditate on the Bible, not because I just love the Bible, but because I love the Jesus who is revealed to me in the Bible. Our church is called Good News Church, and and Good News Church is a part of a group of churches called the Presbyterian Church in America. And the Presbyterian Church in America began in the 1970s, the early 70s, and it started because of three key things. First, a belief that the Bible is the Word of God, a commitment to the Reformed faith, and a commitment to finishing the task of getting the gospel to the nations, what Jesus called the Great Commission. Can you think of anything that was happening in our world in the 1950s and the 1960s that might have led to a denomination, a group of churches forming and bounding together to say, yes, we believe in the Bible? Was anything happening in our culture in the 1950s and 1960s? There was so much happening. And a group of people got together and they said, we believe the Bible is the word of God. Now, has anything been happening in, in our culture, in our day? Oh, so much. So much. And I'm so grateful that in 2023, we still stand and say, we believe the Bible is the word of God. Because in a changing world, in a changing culture, we need something solid and true that we can build our lives on. And we can do no better than God's word, the Bible. This morning, what we're going to learn from these two verses in 2 Timothy is this, that the Bible is God's word and has the right to command our belief and action. That the Bible is God's word and has the right to command our belief and action. In fact, I want you to learn it, so I, I'd love for you to say it with me this morning. The Bible is God's word and has the right to command our belief and action. Now, it's not enough to just say it. We're going to take some steps later in the message to help you apply that and learn how to read the word and pray the word and then share the word. 
But first, we have to be convinced that the Bible is God's word. And a look at the passage. It says, all scripture, all scripture. Now, the word scripture in Greek is the word graphe, and it means any written text, any written text, that the Bible is God's word written. It's God's word written. The Bible was written over the course of 1,500 years by more than 40 authors on three continents, and in its originals, it's written in three different languages. And yet, when you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you discover that it has one central theme, Jesus Christ. And it has one central message, that God saves sinners. That the Bible is God's word, written over 1,500 years by more than 40 human authors on three continents in three different languages, and yet it has incredible unity around the person of Jesus Christ and the message of the good news of the gospel. And the reason that it has such amazing unity is that the Bible was written by human authors, but it's God's word. It's God's word. The word here that in, in the text is inspired. And that means God breathed. God breathed that the human authors were inspired, but the Bible was expired from the very mouth of God to human authors. So what can we say about the Bible? That it was written, and it was written by human authors, but it came from God. Now let me show you that. In Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, turn there and let me show you verses 7 and 8 of Hebrews 3. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Now, the writer of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 95, Psalm 95, and, and the writer of Hebrews says that Psalm 95 was written by who? Spoken by who? The Holy Spirit. Now, go over one chapter, one page maybe even in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7, he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as he said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Psalm 95, again, in chapter 3, verse 7, who spoke? The Holy Spirit. In chapter 4, verse 7, who wrote and spoke? David. The Bible is written, inspired by God, with a divine author and a human author. 
And we can, because it has a divine author and a human author, we can say that the Bible is inspired and we can believe that not only is it inspired by God, it's also inerrant. It's inerrant. That means that the Bible, in all that it teaches, is true. It's true in regard to religion, how a person can be reconciled to God. It's true with regard to ethics and morals. It's true with regard to history. It's true in what it teaches about where we came from. It's true in all that it teaches. It's inerrant. The scripture, all scripture, is inspired by God. So it's inspired, it's inerrant, and because it's inspired and inerrant, it's infallible. That means that it's trustworthy. It's trustworthy. We can count on it. Now, why do I trust my wife? Do I trust my wife because I've installed spyware on her phone and I know everyone she texts and everyone she emails? Do I trust my wife because I've hired a private investigator who follows her around everywhere she goes? You say, I hope not. It wouldn't be much of a relationship. No, I trust my wife because over 27 years of marriage, she has proved herself to be trustworthy. I can count on her. I, she's reliable. And I trust the Bible because it's God's word to me. And from the moment I heard it taught, and the moment I began to read it, and the moment I began to follow the one Jesus who's spoken of on every page, I have found him to be utterly reliable, and therefore I find his word, the Bible, to be utterly, completely trustworthy. It's infallible. I can count on it. It's reliable. Now, all scripture is inspired by God. So we've learned three things so far that the Bible is God's word. It's inspired, inerrant, and infallible. Now, not only that, but the Bible has the right to command our belief and action. The Bible has the right to command our belief and action. The Bible is profitable. The Bible's profitable. Are you looking for a good investment? Are you looking for something that will always give you a good return? This book is profitable for all of life, for marriage and parenting, for all of life, for leading in the home and leading in the marketplace. The Bible is profitable for all of life. It has a good return on investment. It's profitable. It has the right to command our belief and our action. So the word that we could say is that the Bible is authoritative, that it commands. It's true truth. We don't stand over the Bible. The Bible is over us, directing us, commanding us, both our belief 
what, to, what we're to believe about God and man and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and salvation and eternal life, but also what we are to do, how we are to obey. And that's why the Bible speaks to us profitably for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. So not only is it profitable and authoritative, it is also sufficient. It's sufficient. It's all we need for right beliefs and right actions. Now, Dallas Willard was a professor at University of Southern California, and he wrote many, many, many books about following Jesus, the life, our life with Jesus. And in one of the books he wrote, he made a distinction between trying to be righteous and training for righteousness. And it's so helpful because if we read the Bible to try and be righteous, we'll miss the mark. The Bible wasn't written so that we could try to be righteous. The Bible was written to shape us, to mold us, to correct us, to train us. I don't read the Bible to gain righteousness by my merit. I read the Bible to discover Jesus, my righteousness, my hope and to become like him, shaped by his inspired, inerrant, uh, infallible, authoritative, sufficient word, to be trained by him and shaped by him so that I become more like him. I'm not trying to be righteous. I don't read the Bible because I'm good. I read the Bible because I want to be like Jesus. I want to be trained in righteousness. The word training in Hebrews 3, uh, sorry, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, the word for training is the, has the same root as a child. It's, it's paideon in Greek, and, it, and it's the same root for the word child, which means, how do I train my children? Do, do I train my children that if they disobey me, well, that's it. You're out. No more dinner for you. In fact, you know, you probably should put out a, a one ad. Maybe go on Facebook Marketplace, child available. I don't do that. They're my children. I love them. And it's the same with God. We're trained by our Father in heaven through the scripture and our relationship to him because of Jesus is completely secure, but he trains us, he disciplines us, he corrects us, he reproofs us. He does that out of love. He does that out of love, and it's not, well, if you mess up, you're out. No, 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 no. We're in because of Jesus. And therefore, we can come to the scripture. And when the scripture reveals areas of our life that need to be corrected, we don't have to hide. We say, you're right. Father, you're right. Help me. We don't have to impress God with our Bible righteousness because we have the perfect righteousness of Jesus. 
It's been credited to our account. And when God looks at us, he now sees us as his children, accepted by him through Jesus. And he is pleased with us because he's pleased with his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So now the Bible has free range in my life to correct me and reprove me and train me in righteousness. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, I want to teach you three words that can help you begin to get the Bible into your life. And those three words are read, pray, and share. Read, pray, and share. Now, why? Because as I've already told you, the Bible is profitable. Why should I read it? Why should I pray it? Why should I share it? Because it's profitable so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So the Bible is profitable for, for all things. The Bible is profitable. The Bible is profitable to give us an understanding of Jesus Christ and eternal life. In, in Romans, in Romans uh, chapter um, 10 verse 17 we read this faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ listen if, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus how is it that that the that faith in Jesus could be brought into your life well, Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And so we come to this book, the Bible, and we ask it to show us, reveal to us Jesus. The Bible is profitable because it gives us an understanding of who Jesus is and how he gives us eternal life. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we, we come to understand what the Bible teaches about the bad news. And the bad news of the gospel is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then the good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is in verse 24, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So the Bible is profitable to give us a knowledge of Jesus and eternal life, to win the lost, to reveal the bad news of the gospel that we've all sinned against God and, and we're in big trouble. But then the good news of the gospel that there is a redeemer, his name is Jesus. And Jesus lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death we deserve to die so that we could be forgiven. And we could receive his perfect record of righteousness. And when those two things are given to us by grace, the Bible says we are justified. We're accepted. We're given a new legal status as forgiven and declared righteous. And the Bible says that we receive that by faith. And that faith is as simple as A, B, C. That we admit, Jesus, I don't have any righteousness of my own. 
In fact, well, all I have is my sin. Jesus, I believe, I believe that you lived and died and rose again for me. Jesus, I commit, come into my life as, as Savior and Lord and help me become the person you want me to be. The Bible is profitable to give us a knowledge of Jesus and his saving work, to give us the gift of eternal life. And if you've never trusted in Christ, but those two verses that I just explained, Romans 3.23 and 3.24, made sense to you for the first time, then your response has to be to repent and believe, to turn from sin and trust in Christ. Won't you? And if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a believer in Jesus already, you're a follower of Jesus, then the Bible is profitable for all of life to help you follow Jesus. So turn to Psalm chapter 1, and let me teach you how to read and pray and share the word by looking together at Psalm 1. Let's just imagine that we're sitting with our cup of coffee early in the morning and we take up to read Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So when you read Psalm 1, how does a, how does a young toddler begin to learn about their world? How do they begin to learn about what's happening around them? How do they begin to learn about their parents and about food and, and about the creation don't they learn by asking questions? And, and we all know what the favorite question of a toddler is, right? Why? Why? Why, Daddy? Why, Mommy? So we come to this passage, and we ask ourselves the question, why? Why is Psalm 1 the first psalm in this entire book, this collection of prayers and songs, in all the psalms that could have been first, why? Why, Father, did you have this be the first? Because it was written by you. It was written by you and by David. So why did they put this psalm first? Maybe because God wants us to grow to become more and more like Jesus. 
to be like the righteous man, to be the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the seat of scoffers. Why does it mention a tree? Why does it mention a tree? Well, can you think of there ever being a time when, when man was living with God and there was a tree? There was. In the garden, when God first created man, there was a tree. And that tree was the, res, resulted in all sorts of problems for man. In fact, it was by eating that tree and disobeying God that Adam and Eve and, and everyone who was born after them, including us, was lost. But all the Bible is about Jesus. And there was another tree. And that tree, that tree was a Roman cross. And the book of Galatians says, quoting the Old Testament, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And it applies it to the cross of Jesus. There was one tree that brought death. There was another tree that brought life. The tree of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, is, is the tree that we should go to. It's the tree that we should run to for life. And when we run to Jesus and his tree, the cross, then we are firmly planted in him and we're able to bear fruit. And one day, one day there'll be a new tree. It'll be in eternity. It'll be in the new heavens and the new earth and there'll be a tree. The Bible speaks of a tree whose leaves will heal the nations and we'll have the opportunity to eat from that tree anytime we want. But the best part, the best part is that Jesus will be there and we'll be eating with him. Now, we've read the word and we've asked the question, why? Why is there a tree? Why is this book, this, this particular chapter here? And why is there a tree? Now, why is there chaff? Why, is, why are the wicked mentioned? To help us see just how much we need to run back to Jesus. Again and again and again, we run back to Jesus because left to ourselves, left to ourselves, we naturally dry up and blow away. And so we run back to Jesus again and again. Jesus, Jesus, give me your spirit that rivers of living water might flow from my innermost being. Don't let me dry up. Don't let me blow away. Let me know the way. Let me know your way. You're the righteous one. Let me go your way. And do you see what's happening? As we read the word and we ask questions of the word, then we begin to pray the word. We begin to pray the word and we begin to say, oh, Jesus, thank you for revealing to me the way of the righteous, the way of life, that through your cross I've been forgiven. Through your life I've been made righteous, declared righteous by your Father. I'm accepted. 
Oh, Jesus, I run to your cross that you might bear fruit in my life and you might help me become more and more like you every day. But Jesus, oh, I I see in my life that it's also true of me that I can be dried up and I can blow away. So Jesus, keep me close to you. Keep me close to you so that I might know your way and live your way. You know what happens When I open up the Bible every day and I read about Jesus and what he's done for me and I pray to Jesus, I begin to want to tell others about Jesus. He's the hero of the story, not me, Jesus. He's the one who's described on every page of the Bible. And when I meet him in the word, I can't help but share him with others. Can I tell you what I've been learning about Jesus? What if in our small groups, what if in our small groups every week we came ready, ready to share what we had been learning? Can you imagine the power that could happen in our small groups when we began to share with one another what we had been learning? Can you imagine what could happen in our families if we began to share what we've been learning about Jesus? Suddenly, we don't read the Bible out of duty and obligation. We read the Bible because we can't wait to learn more about Jesus and to spend time with the one who went to a tree for us. What if, what if this week, what if this week we just made it our goal every day, every day to open this book and read one chapter, one chapter, to read it, and then, and then ask Jesus, help me see who you are. And then we talk to Jesus about what he showed us. And then we began to look for ways to share him and what we're learning with others. Our denomination started in difficult times. We live in difficult times, but they're not uniquely bad times. Martin Luther... Martin Luther is credited with beginning this movement of the Reformation, and and here's what he said. Take an example from me. I opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. I taught and preached and wrote God's word alone. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends, Philip and Amsdorf. I mean, that's funny, right? I mean, you can laugh at that. He's drinking beer at the pub with Philip and Amsdorf. The word did so much that the papacy weakened in such a way that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such damage upon it. I did nothing. The word did nothing everything oh dear people give this book free range in your life to speak god's words to your heart to reprove to correct to train your dad in heaven longs for you to come and say teach me father And when we will he will he'll help us see jesus 
And when we share him with others, he'll become even more real. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the true and living word. Jesus, thank you that you are revealed in every page of the Bible, that you are the tree, that Jesus, you are the Lamb of God, that Jesus, you are the Passover sacrifice, Jesus, you are the blood painted on the door of our homes, Jesus, you're the way through the Red Sea, Jesus, you're the King, David, Jesus, you're the prophet, Isaiah, who speaks to us words of life, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Jesus, you're the priest who sacrificed yourself for us. Jesus, you're the way, the truth, and the life. I pray that you would be at work and that you would work in our hearts to draw us closer and closer to you by revealing yourself on every page of this book, the Bible. Jesus, if there's any here who you're moving in their hearts even now to help them see the bad news and the good news of the gospel and, and to respond to you in saving faith, help them just to tell you now, Jesus, I admit to you that I've sinned against you in many ways and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe that you lived and died and rose again for me. Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord. Help me become the person you want me to be. And Jesus, all of us, all of us need your word, and so I pray that we could read and pray and share this week so that you would become more real to us and that we might become more like you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.